Dominus Vobiscum, Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees have taken their seats on the chair of Moses. Therefore, do and observe all whatsoever they tell you. But do not follow their example, for they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to carry, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they will not lift a finger to move them. All their works are performed to be seen. They widen their phylacteries, lengthen their tassels, love placed at honor and banquet, seats of honor in synagogues, greeting in the marketplace, and the salutation, Rabbi. As for you, do not be called Rabbi. You have but one teacher, and you all are brothers. Call no one on earth your father. You have but one father in heaven. Do not be called master. You have but one master, the Christ. The greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Well, good morning, everyone. You are in for a real treat this morning because I am about to give the greatest homily ever on the subject of humility. <laughs> I'm kind of an expert after all. <laughs> Here's the paradox about humility. First of all, the moment you say you have it, you've lost it, right? <laughs> uh, but that doesn't get at the fullness of, of the paradox here because uh, humility is a virtue. We know this, right? But how is it a virtue? Paradoxical, isn't it? What does the word virtue, virtus, mean? It's from vir, meaning strength or power. It's easy to see how things like courage, wisdom, generosity, gratitude, these things are kind of strengths or powers we have, but humility? Humility is often seen as, you know, something we ought to be because we're weak, we're fragile. It's based on our, the fact that we're not perfect, right? No one's perfect, so we ought to be humble, right? In other words, how is humility a power, a strength, a virtue, it could be good, but it's not a virtue unless it's coming from a place of strength, right? So how is it a strength at all? I mean, you know the old adage, the person who's humble, well, frankly, <laughs> they've got something to be humble about, <laughs> right? They're not perfect. So what would it mean for humility to be powerful, to be a virtue in this way? There's lots of ways you might explore it, but I want to get right to the heart, jump right to the heart of the mystery, and it's this. Humility is a virtue precisely because God is humble. That we believe in a God who is, and has shown forth humility. And whatever's of God is, by definition, strength and power. And if, when I say those words, God is humble, we might think to ourselves, how can that be? Well, that seems paradoxical 
or almost flabbergasting, <laughs> you're on the right track. Because St. Paul, when he begins to preach a humble God, what's the response? His Jewish brothers and sisters say, that's not the God we believe in. That's a scandal. God is somehow less than. To the Greeks, what do the Greeks say? Uh, we'll talk about this next time. It's nonsense. Utter foolishness in every way. And if it were not revealed to us, we wouldn't know about it. I'll put it another way. There is no, in the history of all humanity, of all recorded human civilization, there is no philosophy, faith, or religion that estimates or thinks that God is humble. It's unique to Christianity. And what do we believe when we say God is humble? Well, let me tell you, we're not quite sure, right? Why, how can God be humble? We know that it is, right? How might we understand why God is humble? It's a deep mystery. Uh, this morning, I want to give three little stories, not little stories, but ones we're familiar with, and come at them. They're at the heart of our faith, but from the aspect of humility, because the purpose of God's humility is right here in the gospel. What does it say? Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but whoever humbles themselves will be what? Exalted. So there's the promise. In that exaltation, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, it's implying that union with God. Somehow humility is the pathway, the doorway to sharing in God's life. The first moment of God's humility we see in the Scriptures, particularly Gospel, is the moment of what? Incarnation. Christmas, right? Christ's birth. And in the incarnation, St. Paul describes it by saying, though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at or seized, but rather, what did he do? He emptied himself. In Greek, the word is kenosis, a kind of emptying himself. How does God empty himself? I don't know. <laughs> no one knows. What does it mean for being itself, that existence itself, to empty oneself? How is it that God takes on a human nature without obliterating it, letting it be what it is? Deep mystery. But we know that it happened. And here's why we know it happened. Because the act of self-emptying is the very means by which we are filled with God's divinity. Liturgical Mass here this morning, right? There's a moment in which the deacon, or Father Vincent will do it uh, today. What does he do? He takes a little bit of water with the wine, right? You pour wine in the chalice, and he just puts a little drop of water. You never hear this prayer, but this is what the prayer says as you're mixing water and wine. By the mystery, right? By this mystery of the water and wine, may we come to share in what? The divinity of Christ, who has done what? Who has humbled himself to share in our humanity. The emptying of himself in Christ means that when we empty ourselves, we can share in his divinity. And this is, I think about this, and I think how powerful this is and how true this is in my own life. Sometimes, I get this way too, you, you have that like inner monologue in our, our minds, right? And we go about the day, and sometimes things are happening, and we think, I wonder what people are saying about me or thinking about me. 
And the reality is, they're not, <laughs> right? I think sometimes we live life as if we were the bride on a wedding day. Everyone's looking at us. What are they doing? When the reality is, get over yourself. <laughs> no one's looking at you. C.S. Lewis has a wonderful way of articulating this. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, not beating yourself up. We acknowledge the good gifts, the talents, the graces, the fullness of who we are. Not thinking less about yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. Right? Not less about yourself. But you're not at the center of your... You are not the star in the movie of your life. <laughs> your supporting character. Right? That's what humility is. Emptying yourself so that God can fill you in that way. So that moment of self-emptying. Practicing that. Humility. Number two, the second moment. The Last Supper. And certainly we know at that moment Jesus gives us his body and his blood through ordinary, simple, small things. A piece of bread, right? A drop of wine. And yet the symbol he uses for that in the Gospel of John is what? Is when he washes his disciples' feet. The idea that humility then comes alive in that moment of service. That moment of giving of one's self. And how difficult this can be when Jesus is washing feet. Who normally washes feet in that time? Is it the, the master? Is it the host? Is it the person who hosts it? No, it's a servant, right? So he begins to wash feet, and then what happens? What does Peter say? What's Peter's reaction? Do you remember what Peter's reaction is? No way, Lord. <laughs> Not my feet, right? He begins to argue, debate with the Lord. I think in the back of his mind, perhaps, Peter thinks, well, if Jesus is doing it for this, it's a little embarrassing, it's a little awkward, but also, if he's doing it for me, what does that mean I have to do? <laughs> it means I'm going to have to follow suit, right? It's tough. What is Jesus' response to Peter's protestations? What has Jesus said? Peter, if you don't let me do this, you can have no part of me. Think about that for a second. That's one of the most challenging things Jesus ever says. You can have no part of me. I will not be in you. You will be separated from me. That's a, that's a harsh, if you think about it, that's really, I mean, that's a nuclear option, right? <laughs> that's the total separation from Christ. That's a place none of us want to be in. No part of me unless what? You're willing, let your feet be washed and to wash others' feet. Service, key to a humility to be filled once again, to be exalted with our Lord, that share in divine life. And then lastly, of course, the culmination and height of that moment of humility, the cross, right? Christ goes to the cross, a moment of great humiliation, of shame. And how to get at this? Well, there's great imagery that perhaps might uh, key us in on this. Uh, not many people know this. And that the last masses, very few folks were um, familiar with this tradition. But I don't know if you've ever seen a crucifix that has a skull at the bottom of it. Not every crucifix has it, but if you've ever seen a crucifix and there's a skull at the bottom, most people, yeah, no, kind of, yes, okay, a few. And the, the tradition there is, well, because Jesus was crucified at Golgotha. What does the word Golgotha mean? It means place of the, of the skull. Is that plural, the skulls, or singular, the skull? Singular, right? Calvary 
in Latin, which, um, you know, word for cabeza or a cranium for head, place of the skull. Well, whose skull? That's where you have to go to Christian tradition. In the Old Testament, there's this kind of mysterious moment when this figure comes out of nowhere. His name is Melchizedek, and he blesses Abraham. Abraham ties to him, and there is a tradition that he carries with him the relics of Adam. Who is Melchizedek? He is the king of Salem, city of peace, Jerusalem. First king of Jerusalem has Adam's wealth and therefore buries Adam right out the city, the place where Jesus was crucified. The same place. The place of the skull is Adam's skull. And symbolically, if you take that tradition, what do you have? You have in that moment when Christ says, I am lifted up to draw all things to myself. He is reversing the sin of Adam. That sin we all have, our plague, that does what? That reaches to exalt ourselves, reaching for the forbidden fruit, which is not forbidden because it's evil, but because the knowledge that's there is not something that can be snatched or grabbed. It can only be received. It can only be given. And so the pride, which literally humbles Adam to the dust, and us along with it, <laughs> is reversed with Christ entering this moment of humiliation, this moment of the ignominious cross, the shame, humiliation, all of the effects of sin and of us trying to exalt ourselves are now resolved in this humble act of Christ on the cross. What does that tell us? It means that in our own lives, you don't have to raise your hands here, but we all know those moments of suffering, especially the shame of our own failure, the humiliation that we perhaps endure. God doesn't take those away, but he makes them united with him, the opportunity by which he might fill us up, he might lift us up, we might be exalted. Today then, we enter into the deep mystery of humility, a mystery we will ponder the rest of our life for. And we hear Christ give this promise that he who humbles himself will be exalted. So let's ask. You can't do it. Once again, there's that paradox. The moment you say it, you lose it. But let's ask for it. Lord, give me a humble heart. Make my heart like yours, humble in every way. I promise you, from experience, this is a bit of a dangerous prayer. <laughs> God seems to answer this one. How? Not by just giving us humility, but giving us the opportunity to do what? To empty ourselves. To be of service precisely when we'd rather not. And to what? Be humiliated, frankly. To enter into moments by our own doing or not that are, are shameful and embarrassing. And yet, to do that gracefully with a sense of sacrifice, with a sense of focus on our Lord's sacrifice for us by which we come into union with him. Lord, 
Give me a humble heart. Lord, let me be exalted with you. Amen.